This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I think that uh, uh, we will start with, with, with Alan. I've known Alan for a long time. Alan actually was a founder member of the Smart Border Coalition back when he was the head of the airport authority. And without that and without the vision, and also I have to save my co-chair Steve Williams uh, and Malin Burnham, we probably would not have become the organization that we have and established ourselves. But, but Alan, if we're going to have a meaningful discussion of security and diplomacy uh, in the next 45 minutes, and I assume we just have the 45 minutes, uh, then it's my real job to let you speak and to get out of the way of you three who are the experts. Alan, you've taken a somewhat positive view of, uh, from what I've read. You call it the challenges that remain in the U.S.-Mexico relationship for security. So uh, you were in Mexico City last week with Secretary Tillerson and Secretary Kelly at a, a very important meeting because it was the first time they met with their Mexican counterparts for a meaningful discussion on the relationship dealing with the security, which is important to both of our countries. So would you like to expand on that? Muy buenas tardes, and uh, thank you, James. And uh, I want to uh, commend uh, the uh, Institute, uh, the Center, and uh, UCSD, uh, Rafael Fernandez de Castro, Melissa Floca, their colleagues here for having organized this uh, conference, for having taken those who said this requires the kind of uh, attention that we need to give uh, because we are at a turning point. And when uh, people and nations get to a turning point in history and don't turn, history is unforgiving. So thank you for organizing this. And I think this morning's presentation, uh, and in an uh, interesting way, this senator's presentation at lunch, which I want to agree with in some respects completely and disagree with in some other respects uh, even more completely, uh, uh, actually is the kind of debate that uh, we need to do uh, as two nations. As uh, uh, it's, it's true, we're not uh, neighbors because we can't move from one another. Uh, we are uh, partners. But I want to uh, take up the uh, security issue because, in fact, uh, what's happened... Uh, and we saw this morning is the importance of getting the facts out about the relationship. What exactly is this relationship economically? And I thought uh, that uh, our predecessors on the panel did an extraordinary job. Uh, and, you know, as uh, our uh, humorist Mark Twain said, first let's get the facts and then we can distort them as much as we'd like. <laughs> and I thought this morning actually did an extraordinary job of getting the facts out that need to be known. There is a parallel set of facts on the security relationship that the senator did allude to that's actually very accurate. We have a, a, a security relationship that uh, uh, people, uh, among other Guillermo Valdez, have, uh, have built over the last uh, uh, 10 years that is a uh, very uh, uh, extraordinarily integrated security situation uh, that still recognizes and respects uh, the sovereignties that, uh, that we have separately. Uh, let me give you a few examples of what this uh, security cooperation uh, is in the interests of protecting uh, North America as a continent, the continental security uh, that is critical to both Mexico, the United States, indeed, I would say, from Colombia to the Arctic, including uh, Canada. 
Uh, every passenger who comes into the, uh, the uh, into the Mexican states, United States of Mexico, is actually cleared against databases of the United States that have been collected uh, over the uh, over the last generation, having to do with known or suspected terrorists or high risk of criminal uh, uh, particip- participants in transnational criminal organization. Every passenger. Uh, the advanced passenger information is shared with the United States and a report given back to Mexico for enforcement purposes if enforcement is required. Uh, secondly, there are U.S. CBP officers who are actually in plain clothes working with Mexican immigration in the Mexico City airport, securing the last point of departure airports from Mexico to, uh, to the United States. There are Mexican aduaneros sitting in the National Targeting Center for Cargo in Virginia that actually review manifests to identify high-risk cargo that's moving toward Mexico. Uh, In the last uh, two years, Mexico has uh, uh, apprehended more than 400,000 Central American migrants moving toward the uh, southwest border of the United States, which would have complicated the flow of migrants toward the United States in ways that uh, are uh, incalculable. Uh, All of this cooperation uh, is uh, important to put on the table in the uh, relationship. Uh, It's important to uh, indicate uh, in a way that, in my view, should be not negotiated the way that uh, the senator suggested. I wouldn't approach this by suggesting to the United States that we're going to pull all counterterrorism cooperation. Neither he nor I are the negotiators here, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, what we, what we uh, saw last week, though, and here's where I do disagree with the senator quite, uh, 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 quite strongly, is that Mexico took a very muscular approach in advance of the Tillerson-Kelly uh, uh, visit. Uh, in fact, uh, I think uh, hemos aprendido que cuando se enfrenta a un abusador... You should not be submissive. And I believe that uh, Secretary Vidagaray and President Peña and Secretary Osorio and Secretary Guajardo made it very clear uh, that, in fact, the kind of rhetoric that had come into the uh, relationship between the two countries was potentially very, very destructive. As a result of that, we saw some pretty dramatic things that I... I, uh, I think that it's important for uh, uh, political leaders like the senator to point out to Americans that this could be the result, which would be the erosion of a generation of trust and confidence that many people have built that could go away because it is very easy to destroy uh, confidence and much more easy to destroy it than it was to build it. But the fact of the matter is if you read the secretary, the statement of Secretary Tillerson uh, and Secretary Kelly, uh, it could have been drafted by Secretary Johnson. Uh, it's a statement that actually uh, talked about the cooperative relationship and the need to continue the cooperative relationship. If you read the press conference, and I would ask uh, UCSD that has received the transcript of the press conference in Mexico City, you will see a completely different uh, uh, portrayal of that uh, meeting than the one that we received at lunch, with all due respect to the senator. Uh, In fact, this was a walking back by the Americans of some very dramatic things. Uh, And this is going to be something that historians in the future are going to have to figure out. With the White House tweets, who's actually in charge? 
this is still in play in the United States. But let me give you three examples in which Secretary Kelly walked back statements that were made by President Trump. First, the president indicated that the deportations that took place were a military operation. Secretary made clear that the military is not involved in deportation of, uh, of anyone from the United States and will not be involved in the deportation. Secondly, Secretary said that there will be no mass deportations of people from the United States. And thirdly, the secretary made it clear that the uh, notion that Central Americans would be placed in Mexico against Mexico's will, awaiting the adjudication of asylum claims, would not take place. Uh, when you put together those very specific policy uh, judgments that were made, uh, together with the statements that uh, were indicated, uh, you begin to see that uh, this is a much more complex position uh, uh, situation than we, uh, we've got to let unfold in terms of uh, what's tweeted and what's done. And I would urge all of us to, uh, you know, again, with respect to the senator, he, uh, he's out there. We need to point out that that's the future if we don't uh, move. So let me uh, conclude with a counterfactual, because I thought today one of the interesting dimensions was you know, when, uh, when, uh, uh, during the 30s, when uh, fascism, a virulent form of populism, uh, took over the world, you remember that uh, very uh, interesting uh, uh, and, and, and pathetic uh, cry that said, you know, when they first came to get the Jews, I stood aside. And when they first came to get the gypsies, I stood aside. When they first came to get the homosexuals, I stood aside. And then, uh, and then we lost the democracy. Well, let me give you a counterfactual, because in fact, what happened was, notwithstanding this extraordinary relationship that's developed between Mexico and the United States since the Clinton-Cedillo days, nobody rose and we were unable to defend NAFTA. Nobody showed up to defend NAFTA. As a result of that, populism overwhelmed it. And all of the benefits that resulted were actually, uh, are actually a threat now. But here's the counterfactual. I think the speakers today did an excellent job of indicating where we need to improve uh, DAFTA, where there are very concrete steps that could take to improve them. And I won't repeat them, but I hope many of you uh, actually have noted them in, in terms of labor rights in Mexico, in terms of environmental rights, in terms of retraining of American workers who lose. All of this needs to be done. So here's, here's the counterfactual that I offer to you. Uh, Let's assume that, uh, that uh, everything that, uh, that Trump has given us an opportunity to re-examine, that in fact all of this rhetoric, whether he intended it or not, uh, the danger is that it becomes reality. But I'm suggesting here today that uh, it's not that clear that that will happen. But let's assume that uh, we look back 15 years from now and we say, boy, uh, this fellow came into office and he said some amazingly rude and boorish uh, and ugly things, but in fact, it made all of us sit back and have conferences like the one that was held at UCSD <laughs> on February uh, 27th. Uh, in fact, it gave us an opportunity to review. So let me give you just a couple of things that are happening in the world that uh, may suggest that uh, President Trump, uh, whether he knows what he's doing or not, gives us an opportunity to actually raise the political consciousness about the, the nature of the relationship that we have. Uh, the rhetoric about China has led China to do two things that has not happened in the last, uh, in the last 25 years that I've been witnessing uh, 
uh, Asia-Pacific affairs. First, uh, for the first time in uh, a generation, the Chinese have stopped buying North Korean coal. <clears throat> stopped buying North Korean coal, which is the major export of, uh, of uh, North Korea. Could that possibly be because China is now going to take a more active role in controlling the nuclear threat that uh, North Korea represents? Uh, a second uh, example is... Uh, Imagine if, uh, if Europe reacts to the threats over NATO to actually redefine the purpose of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which has needed revamping since the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, and that leads to a uh, recognition of the threat that uh, a revanchist uh, uh, Putin-led Russia could, could, uh, could cause, it may turn out to be uh, good. Now, it's not the way I would conduct public policy. Uh, it's not the way you would conduct public policy, but I, uh, I think that uh, we really need to take advantage of the crisis that's been created. Uh, we're facing the danger that the senator articulated uh, quite well at lunch, uh, but let's now take advantage of the opportunity that is presented by uh, the fact that we are all focused on, on this most important relationship that exists, the U.S.-Mexican relationship uh, in the 21st century. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Alan. David, you, you've studied and written on the North American military cooperation, North American security perimeter, the Merida Initiative cooperation, and other border law enforcement and cooperation. How do these issues play in the era of Trump? Well, I think one thing that's important to start out with is the um, the particular coyuntura, as they would say in Spanish, or the particular um, watershed moment that we're living in, which uh, Alan referred to, and we would not be here. We would not be sitting here today talking about these issues if it weren't for the important role that misinformation and deception has played in bringing us to this moment. Uh, if it were, and that misinformation would not be effective were it not for a vast amount of ignorance uh, that exists uh, today. Uh, about NAFTA and, and about many other issues, immigration and so on, uh, in this country. Um, and that ignorance is, in part, uh, something that has led to uh, a third thing, which I think we have to recognize, which is an enormous amount of intolerance uh, that we're seeing today in, uh, in U.S. society. And one thing that concerns me about the conversation just generally that we're having is this is a monologue, not a dialogue. Uh, we're not having a conversation with representatives uh, of the other side, and we're not finding those uh, who are on the other side that we can realistically convince uh, of, of what the facts are and how to use them. Uh, and so that's something I think we have to take away from this conversation today is to, to figure out where are the folks on the other side of the aisle that we can work with. Uh, there's been too much um, uh, dis conversations in echo chambers in, in, um, on, on both sides of the aisle, I would say, uh, in the last few years, and, and we need to overcome that. And arguably, the work that the Center for U.S.-Mexican Studies uh, is doing right now and the fact that these conversations will be broadcast and rebroadcast, I think will facilitate that, that dialogue. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at UCSD a few years ago uh, on NAFTA, uh, and in the aftermath of that, the video footage that went up on online on uh, on Go uh, uh, what is it called? YouTube, thank you, uh, generated a huge conversation. I had lots of people trolling me uh, afterwards, <laughs> calling me a NAFTA pimp. Uh, so. <laughs> 
I, I put that out there. Come on, come get me, uh, because I'm going to say some some more things that might disturb uh, folks on the other side. Um, the the security relationship between the United States, as Alan um, described, has changed dramatically in the last uh, 30 years or so. Um, uh, you know, the 1980s, uh, when you think about U.S.-Mexico security, you can't, can't avoid thinking about uh, the Camarena incident, uh, when uh, the, the level of distrust uh, between the United States and Mexico uh, was uh, enormous uh, and, and led uh, to uh, some very serious crises in the relationship, including the, uh, the torture and murder of, of Enrique Camarena by Mexican security forces. Uh, flash forward to the 1990s, uh, as we're debating NAFTA, and um, U.S. Congress people were uh, concerned that Na- what NAFTA represented was a, a NAFTA train of undocumented immigrants and drug, traffic, drug traffickers that would be flooding into this country. Um, and then to 9-11, when uh, the first uh, knee-jerk reaction of U.S. policymakers to uh, a terrorist attack by individuals from the Middle East was to focus on shoring up security along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and what, what we've seen since then um, is the gradual evolution of uh, what was once a, a truly dysfunctional relationship on security issues uh, to one that is much more positive today, uh, or at least uh, up until this moment. Uh, and that is something uh, that we have worked very hard. Many uh, folks uh, in this room uh, and elsewhere have worked hard to construct. Uh, the, the thing about building friendships is they're very easy, to, they're, sorry, very hard uh, things to, to build, and they take a long time, uh, and they're very easy to destroy with a single act of betrayal. So we have to be very cautious, I think, in dealing with, uh, with Mexico uh, looking forward. Um, I would just point out that the, the couple of the... Um, Policy frameworks that James mentioned, um, you know, have have emerged from crises um, and have and we have taken advantage of those crises in the past to create the security frameworks that we have today. Uh, Two thousand and one, uh, the term "smart border" came to us after nine eleven because uh, we created a twenty two point. A smart border agreement with Mexico uh, on uh, specific uh, initiatives that we could do with Mexico to make sure that we had secure flows of people and goods uh, between our two countries. That was based on the 32-point smart border agreement we've had with Canada. Uh, we, we somehow lost 10, point, uh, 10 points in the smart border agreements, but, no, you know, n- not to complain. Uh, from there, uh, we moved uh, to advance and deepen and broaden the relationship uh, in 2005 with something called uh, the Security and Prosperity Partnership. Here, the ad- idea was to, to look at other areas uh, where security uh, matters and, and matters specifically to uh, enhancing the economic opportunities between uh, the three countries of North America, including uh, improving food security, improving energy uh, sustainability and security. Uh, these are very important uh, areas is where the, the North American economy has grown together. Um, around 2009, um, particularly working with Mexico in response to the uh, growing problem of organized crime and violence uh, that was affecting uh, Mexico, particularly after 2008, um, we launched something called the Merida Initiative. Uh, and the Merida Initiative, or the words Merida Initiative, as far as I know, have never left the lips of Donald Trump. Uh, I've never heard him talk about it. We have no idea what he thinks uh, or what he plans to do with it. Um, But it is a multi-year 
million plus initiative for the United States to work with and uh, assist Mexico in its effort to combat uh, 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 illegal drug trafficking and also to bolster the rule of law. Uh, So this is what we have to lose. We have uh, a decade-long effort, at least, uh, since the NAFTA era um, and since 9-11, a decade-plus, of working together with our Mexican partners. And here's how we can lose it. Um, The policy uh, implications of the Trump agenda, uh, I think, are enormous. Uh, And I would list five, partly because of the very limited time I've been given and also because I, I don't have that many more fingers. So the first is... Um, economic insecurity in Mexico. This is something we're already seeing and we've been seeing since Trump uh, Trump started running for uh, president. Uh, The declining value of the peso, uh, greater uncertainty about um, possible investment into Mexico. Uh, uh, What that is likely to produce, what that has produced in the past, um, and what we should anticipate is increased crime and violence in Mexico. Uh, As people are uh, out of options, uh, particularly young men between the ages of 18 and 35, they look for opportunities uh, and options in uh, illicit drug trafficking, uh, predatory crimes, and so forth. So uh, to, the more that we hear about the negative effects of, of ending NAFTA or killing NAFTA for Mexico, the more we should anticipate uh, worsening of the problems of crime and violence that we've been trying to help Mexico uh, address. Two, uh, walls. What we've learned, I would say, in 20 or 30 years of uh, dramatically increasing our security presence at the border um, is that uh, enhancing security along the border tends to also enhance organized crime. Uh, in the sense that, um, you know, whereas in the old days you could just walk across the border with your knapsack and, and uh, come in the United States, it's become harder to do that. So the kinds of criminal organizations that are needed uh, functionally to get illicit products over the border, or even move people across the border, are much more sophisticated today than they ever were in the past. Uh, so one of the unintended consequences of building walls is to make criminals more ingenious, more sophisticated, and more powerful, uh, and, and to create a bigger problem for us to fight. Uh, the third uh, thing that I think we need to keep in mind is uh, this idea of targeting bad hombres, which is a terrible mispronunciation. Um, and uh, it means something totally different. You've got to totally restack the, the FDA if you want to focus, uh, or uh, the, the um, Department of Agriculture if you want to fight bad hombres. But if you want to fight bad hombres, um, one of the things that we've learned in the last 10 years or so is that going after the bad hombres can have a potentially negative effect. Right? Uh, the, the kingpin strategy in particular that we've used to target high-level operatives in Mexico, including recently Chapo Guzman, have led to increases in violence. Right? And in fact, the increases that we've seen since mid-2015 in uh, Mexico's homicide rate, I think, are directly attributable to the destabilization of the Sinaloa cartel uh, and uh, the disruptive effects that that has had. So we have to be careful about using that kind of rhetoric and strategy in particular uh, if, if we're looking at trying to deal with uh, that problem. Uh, Greater violence, 
Number four, I'm almost done. Greater violence, of course, is also not necessarily uh, helpful uh, to the extent that we are engaging in policies that that foment or uh, facilitate fragmentation of organized crime and greater violence. That has negative implications for the United States as well, because what we are likely to see is more internal displacement in Mexico and ultimately more people fleeing Mexico because of that violence into the United States. Uh, So we are, again, shooting ourselves in the foot to the extent that we go around trying to kill uh, Chapel. Uh, the last point uh, is uh, with regard to the Trump administration's agenda on uh, deporting so-called criminal aliens. Uh, what we know about that is that um, deportation, uh, which uh, may or may not be increasing, uh, but, but what we know is that sending people back to Mexico and the way that we send people back to Mexico, uh, which is to drop them off effectively at the border, uh, effectively decreases security along the U.S.-Mexico border uh, in two ways. One, uh, if you are throwing bad hombres uh, on the other side of the border, it's something that the Tijuana mayor, the the Nuevo Laredo mayor, uh, the uh, uh, Ciudad Juarez mayor, suddenly has to deal with this uh, mob of of, uh, criminals uh, uh, running around uh, in in border communities. Um, And if they're not actually, as as I think is uh, often the case, if they're not actually criminal aliens, then what you're doing is creating a very sizable, victimizable population on the other side of the border of people who have been totally displaced, have no idea where they are or where to get help. Uh, And so we see an increase in predatory crimes in border communities. Um, So my concern is that uh, the direction that we seem to be heading, at least rhetorically in terms of the rhetorical strategy of the Trump administration, is to roll back the clock and dramatically worsen security conditions in Mexico. Um, the, the way I think that we can move forward uh, to take this potential crisis and turn it into an opportunity is, first of all, uh, to reverse the problem of deception uh, and to provide information through forums like these about what uh, the actual intended, the possible consequences will be so we can fight ignorance, uh, and ultimately uh, to try to build uh, the, uh, the coalition, uh, if you will, uh, that um, will help to overcome the kind of intolerance that we've seen. And that, that really does require us uh, to talk not only amongst ourselves, not only to preach to the choir, but also to reach out uh, to others who don't quite think the way that we do. So thank you very much. Thank you, David. Perhaps the reason Trump has not spoken about the Merit Initiative is Steve Bannon hasn't told him about it yet. Uh, Guillermo, you, you've mentioned that the, the, the past years of trust, co-responsibility, and friendship between our two countries uh, may not exist if uh, the basic assumptions of the Trump administration are different. As someone from Mexico, as from Sede Amiakis, could you give us your opinions on that? Yeah. Well, thank you for the invitation, Melissa and Gordon and Rafael. A lot of things that uh, Alan and David said, uh, I I was going to tell something very similar to those, so I will not uh, repeat that again. Just to underline some of the uh, ideas that both Alan and David has uh, expressed, I think that the uh, if you read the, the the press conference between the 
the, mem the members of the Mexican and U.S. governments the last week and just uh, read what uh, the Department of Homeland Security wrote after the visit of Mr. Kelly to Mexico, you say, in the schools, you say, nothing has happened. But the problem is, something has happened. If you see, not only the discourse of Donald Trump, but the executive orders he has signed, there is a lot of change. And the change is that Obviously, not all the members of the, the government of Donald Trump, but the president himself thinks that Mexico is no longer a reliable partner. Mexico is a problem. Mexico's troubles for the United States, sending bad hombres, sending drugs, sending rapists, uh, generating de tra uh, trade deficits. So, not only the sayings of Donald Trump, but the executive orders in the uh, uh, migration and security make us think that there has been not that there has been a very important and qualitative change in the way the relationship between Mexico and the United States have been built in the last 10, 15 years. So that is the problem that there has been this change and we don't know still if that change, if that way of uh, looking at the relationship between Mexico and the United States will prevail or it will prevail the way John Kelly and, other, and uh, Tillerson say that the relationship is going. So we don't know still what will happen that. In the meantime, the problem is that the, this kind of very a much more productive relationship in terms of security that we have been built in the last decade or 15 years is a stake in that relationship is based on trust and in the, in, in the perspective that both countries are friends and are neighbors and are uh, partners and uh, we will be benefit, ben, uh, benefited but this good relationship. And uh, that's what is at stake. We, we don't know. Uh, and in, in, it's very difficult to build a, a, a relationship based on trust uh, 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 since uh, after 9-11, Mexico and the United States signed this uh, security and Prosperity Partnership, the SPP, who has been working very well. Uh, and after, in 2008, we signed Merida Initiative. Those main uh, agreements between the governments that have made possible to, to have a lot of specific programs in, in uh, stopping... Uh, Central Americans, people going to the United States, uh, stopping drugs, stopping uh, guns, trying to stop guns coming from the United States to Mexico. Uh, a lot of what uh, Alan told of those specific programs are related to, to improve the security between our two countries. But I think that right now the risk is that 
until we know what will be the real policy, Mr. Trump or Tillerson or Kelly, we don't know, uh, I think it will be very difficult to have an umbrella to, to, to define a, a, big, a, a, a big agreement like Medida Initiative. So I don't see, I don't see probabilities. It, it, it will be very unlikely if in the next one or two years we can uh, have this kind of umbrella program to support a lot of specifics uh, uh, policy between the U.S. Uh, Army and Mexican Army or whatever you say. So I, I think that... Um, Mexico's government will wait because uh, if uh, they will use the the security issues to leverage to to leverage the relationship on the trade issues, it looks like the Mexico government is prioritizing the the trade uh, relationship be, uh, over the security relationships. So he's waiting. Uh, until, I don't know, in June when they have a, a, a more clear idea of what will be the trade negotiations between Mexico and the United States, if Mexico decides to take some actions on the security issue. For example, Mexico can stop destroying the poppy seed plantations. He's trying to, to, to destroy these plantations in Guerrero and Sinaloa, But he can say, okay, I will not, it is not in, in my interest to continue destroying these uh, plantations of poppy seeds and marijuana. Or I will not continue stopping Central American migrants going to the United States. Those are the, 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 the issues Mexico has on the security relationship to, to make some pressure on the economic relationship, but they have not said anything of using that kind of uh, uh, decisions because I think they are waiting to know what will really be the policy of the United States uh, over Mexico. Not only in security, but also on the trade uh, negotiation, the renegotiation of NAFTA, because until June it's said that uh, they will have an, a more clear idea of what does that mean to renegotiate NAFTA. So, but in the meantime, I think that we don't have the, the big risks that this trust that we have. Uh, built in the last 10 years can be destroyed very easily. And I think it's not, uh, we're not far away from completely doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Guillermo. One thing that I would like to bring up, which is somewhat different, is uh, the Trump administration has really raised the stakes on deportation in the name of national security. How can we protect California industries that are so dependent upon migrants, documented or un, uh, here, such as the construction industry, the hospitality industry, and particularly our huge agriculture industry, which feeds not only California, but most of the world. So just to 
quickly, there used to be when uh, I was in uh, Customs and Border Protection, there would be an aggressive uh, CBP or Border Patrol agent that would uh, challenge uh, uh, leadership on, uh, are you for amnesty? And uh, I think to respond to your question, James, let me uh, tell you what I used to tell uh, those officers. I'd say, you know, there are 11 million people in this country uh, unlawfully as a result of the policies of Republican and Democratic administrations for 35 or 40 years. Uh, if there were an 8 million of those 11 million are uh, Mexican, uh, 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 Mexican migrants, uh, if there were a wand and you could remove all of those people from the country, uh, some people would choose to exercise it and uh, some people would choose not to. But the fact of the matter is there is no such wand. So that, in fact, as you begin to approach the deportation uh, issue, you must prioritize. And if you listen carefully and read between the lines, and I take everything that uh, Guillermo said, uh, uh, I, I take it to heart, and I have the same uh, concerns. But the fact is that you have to prioritize. And uh, Secretary Napolitano prioritized. Uh, Secretary uh, uh, Johnson uh, prioritized. And if you listen to the last statement on the matter by, uh, by President Trump, consistent with what Secretary Kelly had said, we're going after the bad hombres. Did he pronounce it correctly? Now, he didn't say it. Uh, he didn't have your, your, uh, your uh, accent. But he did say there's a prioritization, and it's going to be on, on, on criminal cases. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be arguments about what constitutes a criminal offense whether it's an arrest or whether it's a conviction. Uh, but the fact is that the, the – uh, and, and that people who are swept up in the arrest of criminal – so-called criminal aliens who have no uh, link to criminality won't be affected. But in fact, uh, you know, there is, the, there is the rule of law in this country, and there are rules that govern uh, how and, and whether you can remove them. Uh, Everything that uh, Secretary Kelly has uh, put out, and, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, a complete fan of, of, of a lot of it in terms of my personal view. But the fact is it's, it's, it's as though the uh, Obama administration was at 9 o'clock and uh, the Trump administration is at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But they are still within the same framework of immigration law uh, that, uh, that actually governs the process. So. I, I think that you will have to prioritize. There will be many differences that the advocates will have. Uh, but the notion that we go back to uh, uh, a mass uh, uh, Palmer-like raids of the 1920s, I just don't think is in the cards, even if there are people who, who would uh, desire that result. There is no such wand. Do either of you want to comment on that? Just David, two words. Uh, a few words. I mean, California could try to be an island, right? Uh, we could become a sanctuary state that refuses to cooperate with the administration and, and uh, in so doing, uh, make ourselves a target for even more um, aggressive enforcement. Um, but I think uh, what I take from uh, Alan's comments is, you know, to the extent that Cal DOJ, the California Department of Justice, can work with the current administration and with DHS to prioritize uh, bad hombres uh, and to focus on uh, really actually helping to investigate, uh, identify, investigate, and, and uh, get uh, the focus to be on criminal aliens, that will be 
uh, to the benefit of the state. We have tens of thousands of Mexican nationals actually in the state penitentiary system here in California. Uh, we would, uh, it would be a smart strategy for state authorities to use the approach of, of prioritization and, and uh, working with uh, the administration. Uh, but at a certain point, you know, what we as Californians, I think, need to do more effectively uh, is actually advocate for policies that will help us to deal with the larger issue of immigration. To the extent that we actually need those workers, we need California politicians, California business people, uh, and California citizens to pressure Washington to finally, for once and for all, uh, give us an immigration policy reform that will address that, that larger need. Because that's what your question points out, is that our economy is dependent on um, a, a large number of people who come to this country and make a huge contribution uh, at many different levels, not just in the fields, but in uh, you know, Silicon Valley uh, as immigrants as part of the California economy. And we, we need to make it clear that a global economy is a labor mobile economy, and that's who we are. Careful. Well, not, not particularly on California issue, but the, the deportation issue, I think that in the next months, unless the uh, United States increases its capacities to deport more people, it will continue as has been in the last months during the Obama administration. But uh, I think that the, 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 the question is, I think most of, here in California, most of the people think that the, the relationship with Mexico is useful and good, and the migrants are very welcome. And, but the problem is that this small, or I don't know if group in the White House says that migration is bad, and they want to... to So this is uh, the rational thinking that says migration is very good, and these ideological people who says migration is bad, and uh, who will prevail? That's uh, one important thing that the Americans will have to solve soon. And uh, in Mexico, can help to show United States that the, it's against Americans' interests to deport people. But uh, Mexico is not doing right now what he can do to, to press the government to, to inflict a harm on, the, uh, on this issue. So I think that the, the other way that uh, can uh, affect the migrants in, in is this kind of terrorizing them. I don't know if that's the intention, the intention, because if you say, Alan, that the capacities, there is a rule of law, so you cannot take up people from the, the house or the job and take it, send back to Mexico, because it has to be taken to the judge and the detention center, etc. So in, that's the, the legal law. But if you terrorize them, maybe they try to say, let's go to Mexico before they... So that's the other risk, and uh, I hope that soon uh, people in Washington can understand that the importance of migration and the, the benefits it, it, it brings. Thanks, Guillermo. Melissa has given us the eye, but... 
Uh, she does tell us we can have the panel could have one question from the audience. Steve Williams. <clears throat> so, Alan, <clears throat> who could best lead and stand up for NAFTA in the U.S. countrywide? So, where, where should that come from? So, I think the uh, the uh, facts of uh, this morning actually provide the answer to that. There are eighteen thousand U.S. companies that are engaged in uh, in business in Mexico. Uh, there are increasingly uh, very important Mexican economic interests uh, with a major interest in uh, in this country. So that, uh, in fact, uh, it's those who, who would be adversely impacted by a change in what's led from a trade of $80 billion a year 20 years ago to a trade that's just under $700 billion a year today. So I think the answer to that is that the business community, and I think uh, our panelists this morning uh, were very uh, articulate and clear about where those interests are. And let me just say, uh, 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 Guillermo, in, in response to what you said, the terrorism uh, and the, and the terrorizing and intimidation of people is obviously a major uh, uh, problem. But the Mexican government has uh, provided its consulates with uh, just under $50 million to provide legal defense and, uh, for Mexican migrants who were faced with, uh, with, uh, with unlawful uh, attempts to uh, eject them. This is a question, I think, consistent with what David said, which is we have to get the facts out. There has to be a lot more communication so let, let me end where I began, thanking getting 200 people out to a conference like this is, is actually the kind of thing that we need to do and do again and again and again. Thank you, James. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.